Changing healthcare starts with a dream. Better care, smarter care, and healthier people. Listen weekly as Dr. Gregory Goodman interviews today's most innovative MDs as they transform healthcare and share their journey from white coat to business suit, highlighting lessons learned and golden prescriptions for your success. Join us today and get your doctor-recommended dose of MD innovation. So welcome to The Modern MD. This is your host, Dr. Greg Goodman. I'm very excited today. We've got Dr. Ron Greeno, who is the founder of Cogent Healthcare and served as the Executive Vice President for Strategy and Innovation until Cogent's merger with Sound Physicians. Dr. Greeno is the co-creator of the Greeno-Holly Hospital Medicine Index, the industry standard for evaluation of hospital medicine programs. Ron is a pioneer in hospital medicine and served as a founding member of the Society of Hospital Medicine, SHM. He was awarded Master in Hospital Medicine by SHM. Three times Modern Healthcare has named Dr. Greeno to the 50 most influential physician executives, and he was the first hospitalist physician ever to make this prestigious list. Ron, welcome to the Modern MD, an honor to have you on the show. Thanks, Greg. I I really appreciate your asking me to do this. It's a very very interesting project that you're working on, and I think it's I think it's going to be very well received. Awesome. Well, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about your personal journey and your journey as a physician entrepreneur. Yeah. So you know, I didn't set out to be an entrepreneur. I set out to be I set out to be a practicing physician. I you know, from the time I was in high school and obviously all the way through college and medical school, my my goal was to be a practicing physician, and and for many years that's that's what I did. I ended up in in Los Angeles, California, and ended up in this part of the country. I was originally from Nebraska and South Dakota, that part of the world, and but ended up out here because of my wife who came to you know came out to UCLA to do her cardiac surgery training and I tagged along and by the time she finished with her fellowship, I had started a practice with a friend and we had a daughter and never never left less left Los Angeles. So you know, so for almost 20 years, practiced medicine downtown Los Angeles. I was a pulmonary critical care physician, so my group was a pulmonary critical care group, and I was the co-director of the intensive care unit at a at a downtown hospital in Los Angeles. And um, I was always interested in kind of the transformation of healthcare that I was first exposed to when I when I moved to California, and I saw what was happening with the physician groups that were capitated taking financial risk on a large population of managed care patients. Um, and that was something really I hadn't been exposed to before, obviously through my training or even the, the short period of time that I, that I practiced in New York where I did my fellowships. But I came out to Los Angeles and started working for a group that, a multi-specialty group, that was paid to take care of their patients through something called capitation, which I had never heard of before. And basically, they had a a large population of patients, um, managed care patients that were given to them by by managed care payers, and they had contract with these payers. And those contracts said that they were paid a fixed amount of money every month for each patient that they saw, and they had to use spend that money in the way that they saw fit to do the best job taking care of those patients. And it was just eye opening to me. It was a it was a dramatically different way for them to get paid. And a and and created a system that put a huge amount of 
pressure and accountability and responsibility on this group of physicians because they, they not only had were accountable for taking care of these patients, but they had to do it in a very cost-effective way or they would go out of business. So it was a, you know, it was it was eye-opening for me and it impacted the way that that I practiced medicine because I, you know, we had to be very cost-conscious and make sure that we weren't ordering unnecessary tests or keeping patients in the hospital longer than they needed to be in the hospital because we were seeing patients as a as a pulmonary and critical care specialist, we were seeing those patients at the request of primary care physicians that had had risk on those patients. The other thing that I saw that was just completely different from anything that I'd seen before, one of the hospitals that we went to in downtown Los Angeles was called California Medical Center, which is still there, right in the middle of downtown Los Angeles. And there was a group of physicians there that were in a group called California Primary Physicians. This was back in the late 80s. And they they had a they had capitated contracts. They had a large panel of managed care patients, and they they had a model where they segregated their physicians, their primary care physicians. There was a very small group that only practiced in the hospital, and they were in the hospital 24 hours a day. And the rest of their primary care physicians just stayed in the office, and I had never seen that before. And it was pretty dramatic, the results that they got. Their length of stays were lower. They I thought they had just really good outcomes. They were very good physicians, and they were they were led by a physician named Bob Margolis, who had, as far as I could tell, had invented that model and moved them to that model. And that that group, for people who know that Bob's name, that group went on to be very successful and grew throughout California and then throughout Florida and Nevada. They changed their name along the way to be called Healthcare Partners and became a spectacularly successful, very large physician group that is now owned by DeVita. But that model, over time, was started to be adopted by other groups in Southern California. And at the hospital, at a different hospital, Good Samaritan Hospital in downtown Los Angeles, there was a, an IPA, an Independent Practice Association, which is a group of primary care physicians that joined together for purposes of taking capitated contracts. And they came to me and asked me if we would be willing to take over responsibility for managing all their patients in the hospital because they wanted to move to this model that allowed their primary care physicians to stay in the office. And this was this was in 1993. So that's how I got into the hospitalist business. It wasn't called that at the time because it was a few years yet before that model was given a name. You know, we, we moved from being just a pulmonary critical care group to being a, a group that, that staffed the hospital and all the admissions from that IPA that came, all the adult admissions from that IPA that came into the hospital, we took care of them. And we were the logical choices to, to do that because we were in the hospital all day anyway because of, you know, the virtue of the fact that we were a, a critical care group. That, you know, similar things were going on, starting to happen with uh, in Southern California with at other hospitals um, with other IPAs using other physician groups, uh, many of them pulmonary critical care groups like ours, to, to manage their patients in the hospital. So in 1995, by that time, you know, I was seeing all these different groups at different hospitals in Southern California that were that were starting to move to this model. And some of them were physicians that I respected very much and knew. And it was clear to me that this was going to be the hospital care delivery model of the future. It was just too much more effective and too much more efficient um, not to be a model that was going to replace the traditional 
you know, care model where the primary care physicians continue to take care of their own patients in the hospital. So, so I got together with my group, three other pulmonary critical care groups that were working in different hospitals in the same model, and we invested a little bit of our own money to start to build a company that could implement and manage these programs. Again, this is this is 1995, so the term hospitalist hadn't been coined yet. It was a year or two later that the model was given a name. And we formed a small company that could start working on building some infrastructure that we could all share to make ourselves more effective in delivering care under this new model. And that that corporation eventually became Cogent Healthcare. So, you know, we started to grow a little bit, implement programs at a couple more hospitals. And in 1997, we went to a venture capital group because basically we, we started wanting pieces of infrastructure that we couldn't afford and, and that really didn't make sense to build to support just, you know, four or five or six programs. You know, it didn't, it didn't make sense to build your own information systems and decision support and um, all the things w- that we needed to, to build better programs. It didn't make sense to build those just to, unless you were going to do it on a very large scale. So we went to, started having some meetings with some venture capital folks and got, eventually found some very good partners to invest money to build a national company and, and, the, and that company uh, became Cogent Healthcare and grew over time, as you know, to one of the largest providers of, of hospital medicine services in, in, in the nation. So a lot of funny stories along the way, including the fact that, you know, I tell people that the first meeting that I went to with a venture capital group was the first time that I, I had ever met a venture capitalist. I didn't know any. I didn't, didn't have a really great understanding of, of what they did or what their business model was. And it was probably the worst meeting that I've ever had in my life because I could not answer a single question that they asked me. But I got through it. Obviously, I learned a lot. Every time you have a, a, a meeting like that, you probably learn more from a bad meeting than a good meeting. You know, eventually we got we got smarter and were better prepared and, and got to the point where we could give a, a good enough presentation, a cogent enough enough presentation, as it were, that people said, "Hey, there might be some, there might be a business here. This sounds like this sounds like a, a potentially a, a viable business, and these people sound like they might be able to to make it happen. And and uh, and we got people to invest several million dollars to to start a company. So it just goes to show you that you know if you if you have a vision uh, and you believe in it and can present your case, you know you don't necessarily have to be an experienced entrepreneur in order to get started, but you do have to start. You, you know it's all about it's all about moving forward and it's all about forward motion and making decisions and learning from your mistakes. And, and, uh, you know, certainly I've learned a lot because I've made a lot of mistakes. So, but it's very, but it's been a very, very interesting ride. What an incredible journey, Ron. And just the fact that you're able to see, you know, the vision of how healthcare delivery could change and, you know, where the future was and, you know, pick up that, you know, there were changes happening and, and really position yourself for successes. You know, really incredible and true visionary. So incredible story. I look forward to, to learning more in the show. So the way we like to start things out is with a success quote. Do you have a quote that's important to you that you like to share with our audience? There's so many. I, I, loved, I love words and I love to see how other people use words effectively. But maybe my favorite quote is one from Nietzsche that said, um, that says, and I may not have it exactly right, but those were those who were seen dancing were thought to be crazy by those who couldn't hear the music and and certainly that was my experience in a lot of things that I've done you know you um you can't you can't worry about if somebody tells you that you know 
this is never going to happen. Um, this new model, for instance, of, of hospital care is is never going to work because it flies in the face of you know how care has been delivered in this country for hundreds of years. There will always be doubters, um, and they'll always think you're crazy, but it's just because they haven't heard the music yet. So I I like that quote. I think of that every time somebody doubts you know someone else's ability to to, to make their dream happen. I love that, Ron. That's so cool, and hopefully we'll hear some music in the future that others won't hear and you know, be on uh, an exciting journey. So I'd like to shift to, you know, the term white coat to business suit section. So I know you mentioned you were a practicing clinician for many years and then transitioned into the business world. Can you tell me a little bit more about how that transition happened and, you know, your your mindset as you kind of transitioned uh, from a practicing clinician to, you know, a full-time businessman? Yeah. You know, like I told you before, you know, we decided to build a business. And quite honestly, I, I really didn't expect to be involved in running that business. I wanted to start it and bring in some people who knew how to run a business, help them get started, and be an investor, obviously. But my plan was just to return to practice full-time. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I continued to practice full-time in the year, early years of the company. But what happened is that you know, with the help of our venture investors, we put together an executive team, a CEO, you know, CFO, the typical uh, business development, the typical players. And when when that team came in place, they they basically came to me and they said, why don't you help us build the company? Um, Nobody can tell the story better than you. Um, Nobody believes in this more than you. You're a physician with with credibility. Why why don't you take part of your time away from practice and help us build this company? So that's how I got started. So it was a fairly gradual thing. I can I continued to practice for you know 15 years or so while we you know while we built the company. And then just a a few years ago, it, it it just got to the point where it was ridiculous. The only time I was because of my travel schedule, the only time I was practicing was on the weekends. So because I was traveling every week, but it's been a very gradual process for for me. And I've I've my business acumen is still probably not great what I'd like it to be. If I had it to go to do over again somewhere along the way, I probably would have gotten an MBA. But you know, you learn by doing and you learn by your mistakes. And I I like to think that I have fairly good business instincts and, and make some make some good decisions here and there. Um, but I still think of myself as a physician rather than a businessman. You know, and I and I think that's I think that's important. There's a there's a quote from another quote from Don Berwick, I believe it was, that who said that he was talking about uh, you know how how we're going to change the healthcare system and he said that you have to have an insider's knowledge and an outsider's point of view and so i i, I do think it's very important for for physicians to be integrally involved and it's just going to be an absolute necessity for them physicians to be involved in the transformation of our healthcare system physicians and other providers um just because they have that insider's knowledge but if they're if they're really going to change it they have to they have to come to the they have to come to the quest quest for a new solution with an outsider's point of view and i think that's that's something that uh, you know kind of a combination of traits that I've been able to, to, to bring to coach and you know I have the insider's knowledge of what it means to take care of patients in the hospital and what they need and what physicians need in order to do a good job but I try to I, I try not to have the standard point of view of a physician when it comes to making changes I think that's so important and uh, I'm actually pretty excited I uh, I'm going back to clinical medicine and I think it is really important to you know maintain that clinical hat to some degree to really you know, see what's going on day to day so you can actually innovate and, you know, continue to move things forward. So really great. So I'd like to shift, you know, to the idea to venture section. I know you've shared a lot about 
starting cogent and a few stories already. Do you have, you know, maybe one or two lessons learned or something that you'd like to share that you haven't shared yet about, you know, your adventure and, you know, uh, a good story? Yeah, I think I think the most important thing I've learned is that the key to success is forward motion. Um, you know, the, the I, I think one of the reasons it's hard for physicians to uh, to move into successful business ventures, although more and more people are doing it all the time, is that it 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 involves a very different way of thinking. You know, physicians are very risk averse, appropriately so. You know, you you know this. You're you're trained not to make a decision until you're 95% sure that it's the right decision. You know, first of all, do no harm, right? The Hippocratic Oath. And that just doesn't work in business. You know, the 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 people that I've seen are the, that are that are the most successful are people who make decisions whether they have the right answer or not. Because business is all about taking risk and being creative. And as a physician, you don't walk into a patient's room and say, I feel like taking some risk today. Let's do something creative with you. You know, it just it, it just doesn't work. And so you have to you have to bring a different way of th- I would encourage physicians who are uh, thinking of, of, of having careers in business to recognize that and to train themselves to make decisions even if they don't know the answer um, because a lot of times there's no place to go to you know to learn that answer and so when you're in that kind of situation the only way you can learn is to make a decision and then get feedback from that decision whether it's the right decision or a wrong one um, you learn from that and the more decisions you make the more you learn you learn and so it's very important to keep moving forward and keep making decisions the only really bad decision is a decision that you don't make because you then you learn nothing you make no progress and you learn nothing. So, you know, that's in, in terms of lessons learned, I, I think that's probably the most important one. Um, the second is to, is to trust yourself. One of the things that I would do differently if I had it to do over again is I would, when I started the company, I would insist that I be the CEO of the company. Now, I never even, I never even thought about that at the time. It just, I, I just felt at the time that I was not, capable of being the CEO of a business because of my lack of business training. On the other hand, you know, I had 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 two competitors in the, in uh, in the industry um, who started comp- who are physicians who started companies and they've and they've been the CEO of those companies and because of that they've had a lot more control and and I think I I think we probably would have been even more successful than we than we have been if we we had a, a a physician CEO and so that's that's a that's a lesson learned i didn't trust myself enough when i started this company to make the right decision which would have been that i would have been um the 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 initial ceo of the company that's a really incredible advice and and i do think it is a different way of thinking you know you have to act you know as a physician entrepreneur with very limited knowledge and be able to iterate you know very quickly compared to you know, in, in the clinical world, there, there is no creative freedom, you know, it's pathways and, you know, very consistent standards to, uh, to guide you. So I think that's different. And you know, the fact, you know, that you have to kind of learn to trust yourself, I think is something you learn over time. And that was really, uh, really awesome. So I'd love to shift to our last section, which is not our typical hospital round. So these are business rounds. Feel free to be creative. There's no, there's no right answer here, which is great. I won't pimp you. So what is the best piece of advice you've ever received in your life? Oh, boy. I don't know if it's the best, but it's a very important one. You know, at, at the end of the day, you know, one of the one of the most important traits that you can develop is the ability to lead, um, to be a good leader. 
it is a completely transferable skill whether you're a practicing physician or a businessman or anything else developing the ability to lead effectively is a tremendously valuable skill and it's not one that everybody has or that everybody develops and you know one thing i think that you know when people talk about leadership one of the things that they because there's obviously you know there's a hundred books on leadership but one of the things that they tend to ignore is how important credibility is credibility is the currency of leadership if people if the people you're leading don't trust you it is almost impossible to lead them effectively and so you know you you have to be able to you have to be credible if you're going to lead people and so if you're going to be credible you have to tell the truth you cannot there is just no way around it you have to be seen as someone who tells the truth and does not lead them so so somebody told me once they said they said tell the truth tell it all tell it early and tell it yourself and you know when i find myself shrinking away from bad news or telling something somebody something that they don't want to hear not telling the truth is so destructive now you can tell it in a nice way it's very important the words that you use the setting that you tell tell it in your tone of voice your body language everything about it can you know but but there is just no getting around the fact that you you need to develop the habit of telling the truth the truth tell it all tell it early and tell it yourself and so i like to think that i've developed a reputation in the industry of being someone who is credible and people can trust me and that that's the way you do it and it is that is so important if you're going to be an effective leader and i don't think you can be an effective physician i don't think you could be an effective businessman effective entrepreneur if you are not seen by the people around you as someone who uh, tells the truth incredible advice and and i think you know integrity and being willing to stand up and, and tell the truth is really important so ron things that I like to study with some of these physician entrepreneurs like yourself is that a lot of them have daily success habits or a morning routine that, you know, they can attribute to some of their success. Would you be willing to share, you know, either your morning routine or a success habit that, that you think is effective? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I have a typical morning routine because, you know, I travel and everything. It's just, it's hard to develop that kind of routine. The, the one thing that I do think is incredibly important is take care of your health and in that regard, the one thing that I try to do every day is exercise. It helps your mind more than it helps your body. And so I think it keeps you sharp. Obviously, it, it helps your health. But a daily exercise routine, I think, is just in, incredibly imp important. So I think it, you know, it takes the edge off your personality, but it, you know, it allows your mind to clear, it calms your nerves, it allows you to focus. So to me, that's a, one of the most important things in my day. And I, no matter how busy I am, I will do just about anything I can to make sure that I exercise sometime during the day. May not be at the same time, may not be doing the same thing, but uh, you know, I'm a lifelong runner. My dad was a track coach, and I was a runner in high school and college competitively, and kept running. But even if it's on a cycle in a hotel or an elliptical, I I try to do that every day. That's awesome, Ron. I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's so important to take care of yourself and you know, do something, some sort of exercise daily. Shifting kind of more to, to healthcare, I, I know you've spent a lot of time thinking about healthcare delivery and, you know, you have a deep knowledge of policy. You know, for our listeners that maybe aren't, you know, as with maybe some of the uh, most exciting things going on, what do you think on a policy level or even on a healthcare trends level 
that somebody should be following and, and that's important to watch right now? My overall view of what's happening in healthcare is that everybody, and I think I've said this to you in our private conversations that, you know, Greg, they, I, in five years and, and maybe sooner, everybody that's in healthcare, and I don't care what sector you're in now, I don't care if, it, if you're in the hospital business or the nursing home business or the physician group business, everybody in healthcare is going to be in the same business. We're all going to be in the population health business. And so, you know, the federal policy and through CMS, the private insurers are, you know, following along behind is creating alternative payment methodologies that are going to pay healthcare organizations to manage a population of patients. And so we're going to move away from the fee-for-service payment system to one where large integrated healthcare systems are going to be given risk, insurance-type risk, on a population of patients. And we're seeing that already. Everybody's trying to get bigger. Everybody is getting into each other's business. You've got, obviously, hospitals buying physician groups, but, you know, insurance companies buying physician groups and, and other clinical assets. You've got hospitals starting their own insurance plan. So everybody is getting into everybody's business, and that's because everybody is preparing to be able to do it all. These large integrated healthcare systems will be able to take financial risk They'll be able to take care of patients wherever they are with whatever conditions that they have, and they're going to be rewarded when they do that well. We are moving into the era of population health. We have been moving that way for a long time. The reason I saw this even back in the, in the mid-90s when managed care was starting again to pay physicians on a capitated basis to manage a population that was the way of the future. Like I said, it was eye-opening, and, and it was eye-opening not just because that's how they got paid, but it's because what it allowed them to do, they got, I mean, if you think about this, in, a, in the, fee, the fee-for-service payment methodology is so limiting because you can't do anything for a patient. Even if it's the right thing, you can't do it unless you can get reimbursed for it because you just can't do things for free or you'll go out of business. When you're paid to manage a population of patients in a capitated arrangement or you know, in a, even a bundled arrangement, you have so much more flexibility. You can get that money any way you want as long as you as a provider group think that that's going to create value, that it's a smarter way to use those resources. And so moving away from fee-for-service to population-based payments just creates a wonderful opportunity for providers, provider partnerships of hospitals and doctors and nursing homes of saying, okay, let's use these resources in the smartest possible way to do the best possible job to manage our population. And and federal policy hopefully will set payment methodologies that will reward us for that. That's their goal. It's the right goal. It's going to be hard to get there. It's going to be very disruptive. It's going to be even more disruptive than it is now. It's going to get downright chaotic. But hopefully we'll come out the other end with a system that truly rewards integrated healthcare systems for doing a better job managing our nation's sick and managing our patients well, doing people well. I think I'm a big proponent, obviously, of value-based payment and, you know, spent some time in bundle payments and, you know, couldn't agree more that, that I think there's going to be a huge transformation of how we pay and how we think about managing populations. And I think if I could say one more thing, I think my advice to the physician world is don't be scared of this. Embrace this. This is a tremendous opportunity. It's a tremendous opportunity to do 
what you've committed to in terms of your clinical career, making patients better and keeping them well, but it's also a tremendous business opportunity. So they should not fear this. They should embrace it because there is no more opportunity in the fee-for-service world. I mean, it's going to go away. The only opportunity will be if you're part of an organization that is taking risk on a population. So embrace that. Don't fear it. It's a, this is a tremendous opportunity. It's a, an incredibly exciting time. So Dr. Ron Greeno, it was an absolute pleasure and honor to have you on The Modern MD. You're a true visionary and innovator. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you, Greg. I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Modern MD. Head to themodernmd.com to get links and recaps of every show and so much more. Dose up and like The Modern MD Facebook page.